Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've got a great show for you this morning. First up is my former colleague, Dr. Muriel Newman. She went in with me to Parliament in 1996. Wonderful, wonderful woman. I knew her, I guess, three years before that. So we had a long association. If there's any justice in the world, she would have been prime minister and we'd be in a different place right now. She would have been fantastic. But she went on to uh, produce a webpage called the New Zealand Centre for Political Research, nzcpr.com. Go to it and read the articles and sign up to her weekly news uh, letter. She wrote a recent article about the failings of this Labour government that we have, and it reads like a horror movie. And most of it I had literally forgotten or buried into my brain somewhere. Some of it I didn't know. And so we have uh, Muriel Newman on to discuss that article. Also coming up, we're going to have the fabulous, wonderful, unstoppable Ali Cook. And we're going to catch up about uh, two things. One, her where she is with her petition. And two, this new great movie that's coming up. Oh, my goodness, I can't wait, called River of Freedom. She's going to be talking about River of Freedom, and I'm going to ask her to get it all in my mind because there's quite a lot of movies now. There was the movie called, what was it? Um, We Came Here for Freedom. You can see that online. There was one called Silenced, and there was one called Silent No More. So there's a lot of movies floating about, but we're going to be talking particularly about River of Freedom, and it'll be coming, hopefully, to a theatre near you. And there are some premieres coming up, which will be a fabulous event. So stay tuned. You're going to have a great show today. I'm looking forward to it. And you can email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio or text me at 2057. Thank you for listening. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I, I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. 
Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So get in touch with us now. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send me a text, please do, 2057, or an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. That's my reward, hearing from you. Now, a lot of people complain, get upset, get outraged, talk about it. Our next lady is the very wonderful Ali Cook, who doesn't just get outraged, doesn't just talk about it. She is a doer, and she is, to me, clearly a force of nature. You recall we've interviewed Ali before about her uh, vax-injured son, now 27, 18 months, and he's still suffering bouts from that dreaded jab. Uh, He's back truck driving and he's on a medical protocol to improve his health you'll recall that Ali did the wonderful job of getting the petition uh, to parliament and we're going to have an update on that but also Ali is promoting the movie the movie to see this year so we want to talk to her about not just that movie but the two movies uh, that are out Ali good morning Good morning. Actually, there's a number of movies out, and isn't it wonderful that oh, um, God, we have so wonderful, so much it, art and artisans actually putting their work out to, um, you know, tell the story of what's happened to us in the last few years. So, and you know great. how we always say things in New Zealand per capita. You know, we're X in the world per capita because we're always small. I reckon our protest was the best in the world. I reckon I think, so too. I, I I mean I loved it captured my imagination, those big trucks traveling across America, across Canada, across the plains and through the hills. That was just beautiful. And that horrible man Trudeau. But here in New Zealand, our protest was bigger and rel- per capita. But it was never properly told because the media shut it down. But we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. We've got to stop and back up the truck. How's your son getting on? Yeah, he's, um, I mean, he's back working again and all that sort of thing, but he still has the bouts. So he still has bouts of chest pain where he has to run back to more anti-inflammatories. He's luckily not been back in hospital. Like his last hospital visit was was Christmas. So he's not been back in hospital, but we've got him on a on a regime um, from our very good um alternative doctor that's uh, got him on a regime that seems to be keeping it at bay as long right. as he keeps taking that. Do the, does it officially recognised by the, I don't know how it happens, by the health system in writing that your son is injured by the jab or is it just he's injured and no one uh- knows? Well, we're in the process of um, going for ACC because I said to him, you know, even though he's still working and he doesn't need compensation, I mean, to be able to get it to see a cardiologist, uh, right now ACC has not turned him down. They've just asked him if he's seen a cardiologist and he's still ma- he's still waiting 18 months later to see a cardiologist. So, Because cardiologists um, are quite busy right now, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I wonder why, Rodney. I have a very good friend who's vaccine injured. Doctor says it's vaccine injured. Injured. She was boosted to the wazoo, and she can't get to see a cardiologist after eighteen months. She had a heart attack, young woman. Yeah. And um, oh my god. And and um, 
Oh, well, can you say this to your son? We 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 give him all the best. Oh and yes, I would. The, thank the you. good the good Christians who try to be good Christians listening, and me myself trying very hard to be a good Christian. We he will be in our prayers tonight. Thank you, thank because, you so much. It's um, really appreciated. Yeah. Um, now you are a force of nature. We've got to run through the list. Tell me where you are with your great parliamentary petition, which I wanted to sign twice, but knew it wouldn't help, and signed <laughs> once, but I tried to get as many people as I could to sign. So tell me where you are with that wonderful petition. So the submission's closed, and then I uh, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, heard back finally, because I was just like, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? And obviously the staff had gone through it. So they came back with a whole lot of things that I have to remove, or they're asking me to remove and asking me to change. Um, Now, obviously, there were things like where I'd slipped up and left a doctor's name in there. So I've gone. and Now, these are in the submissions. These are in the submission. So no, no. part of the submission is 200-odd stories of vaccine injury. And, of course, some of the people in those stories have referred to a doctor by name yes. or a, a small medical clinic by name, and I've had to take those names out. That's fine. They sent me back, I don't know, about 80 of them that I had to do, and I've just finished them this minute as I'm talking to you. But My also goodness. there were other interesting things, like to use uh, Kirsten Murfitt's uh, document, Q&A document, I had to have her permission to use it because it's copyrighted. Um, and I had to have copyright permission from Guy Hatchard to, re- to um, re- you know, to use some of his research. So, of course, I've got the permission from them, but silly things like that. Um, another one was they wanted me to remove about Dr. Legros. Um, calling Casey Hodgkinson a scam in the press, which I'm point blank. Uh, They called it an accusation. I said it's not an accusation, as you'll see by Casey's case file and her number where she's put her submission in, um, that she's actually diagnosed by cardiologists and neurologists as being severely vaccine injured. Um, And therefore, it's not an allegation that he went into the press and referred to her as a scam and that article in the mainstream media was used over and over again. Um, So it was used repeatedly, referring to her as a scam when she's in fact a young 24-year-old woman who's severely vaccine injured. And I refuse to remove it. And I refuse to remove um, who he works for because he has gained millions of dollars of funding money for the vaccine. And it is totally relevant to my uh, asking for an official inquiry in, into mm. this vaccine, so I will not remove it. So I've, I'm going to go back and tell them that I will not remove. And who is this gentleman? Uh, he's the head of the Mulligan Institute and head of the Vaccine Alliance for New Zealand. Okay. So, and okay. he called he called her a scam in the paper. I mean, wow. I I hope that one day some lawyer actually steps up to the plate and takes uh, stuff for defamation for that because it's a clear case of defamation. Wow. In my mind, when someone calls up, calls you a scam. <coughs> well, but, I can give but, you a I can give you a suggestion here. Um, if if it comes to it, take it out, right? And um, because you want it to proceed, and then you ask to be heard, and then say it. 
Yeah, it's another way. But at the end of the day, it's just a screenshot of something that is in the public. The other thing they asked to remove all the names off, which somebody is doing for me now, um, well, hopefully the lovely Linda Horton's got a a helper, um, is someone captured all 400 comments that were removed from Jacinda Ardern's page when she posted up about, hey, has anyone had a vaccine injury? Uh, Right? And so someone, some smarty... Some I didn't know. No, you've got to back up the truck. Jacinda <laughs> Ardern, yep, on during her, the whole thing, Facebook her, page. Yes. She posted up, yeah. She posted up, has, yeah, she posted up, has anyone had a vaccine injury? And, of course, it went mad on her no. Facebook page. No, I did and, not know this. And her admin were removing the posts of serious vaccine injury as quickly as they were going up. But there were several people sitting there on their computer, refreshing and screenshotting, refreshing and screenshotting. And they got all of the vaccine injury stories of all of the people who were going, hey, you're lying. It's not just a sore arm. I've been in hospital and yada, yada, you know. So there was all these there was all these things. Well, someone caught all 400 of them, right? Now the the, t- the petitions committee has asked me to remove uh, the, their identifying, you know, so remove their name and their, um, you know, their little, their little yes. what do you call it, profile shot, you know, on the, on the comments. But that was public information, right? Correct. It's actually been put up publicly. They've willingly put it up publicly. So but that, they've, the only person that's protecting is our dear leader. Correct. So um, so anyway, I'm going to comply with that. We're going to remove the little names. Of course, we have the copy with all the names there, but but I'm going to remove all the little names and little you, I can't tell you it. how much I can't tell you how much I love you. <laughs> no, well, I'm just not going to let them get away with it. Oh man. Um, and I didn't know about this. It's being referred to a committee, a petitions committee. Yes. So what's um so what's happening now is the staff because it's fourteen hundred and forty pages big, right? It's actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually huge, right? So I guess the staff have had to go through it. Then they've come back to me and said the petitions committee won't allow that. They won't allow that. They won't allow that. They probably won't allow that. It's the staff's opinion, of course, not the petitions committee opinion, of course. But this work has held it up from going before the petitions committee. So I'm just about to slam it back at them um, and uh, with all of the changes that they wanted and the things removed, and I've just got to refer to it in the documents now where I've referred to the file name, I've rechanged the file, send them all the new replacement file numbers for the ones that um, where there was a, a doctor mentioned or something like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, they. I mean, they're just, yeah. They're picking you know what I, mean, I love. They asked. They asked for the for me to get permission on the Lazarus report. Okay, like um, that is a report that was done, I think, in two thousand and eleven. It's the only report in the world, um, only peer reviewed study that that studied um, the VIRS reporting system that showed that only one percent of vaccine injuries were ever. Reported. reported okay so i referred to it and i gave them a copy but because i gave them a copy they've said oh no you haven't got the copyright from the authors of the lazarus report and i'm like um well actually um if you go here <laughs> it's actually um 
It's actually on the Department of <laughs> the US Department of Health Services Agency <laughs> for Health Research and Quality, and it's available online right here. <laughs> Do you know how much I love you? I love this because they don't look, I sort of know these people and they don't know who we are. And yeah. so that was why they totally misread the protest and they've totally misread you. Because you can imagine Parliament getting hundreds of petitions and then people put it in, they get all enthusiastic and then they just get tired and give that's up. That's what they think. That's what they and, think I'm going to do. And yeah. any normal person uh, on a normal issue of great concern and grave injustice would have long ago given up. But it's like the protest. This is not ordinary political activists who are doing it for the cause. This is something very deep to us. Yeah. Well, in my case, um, in the music industry, I have certain, because I've been in the music industry all my life, people call me Tenacity Girl. That's actually my nickname. Oh, boy. So, you do not so, want Tenacity Girl on your case. You don't want Tenacity Girl on your case because I just never give up. I'm like a dog with a bone. And um, so anyway, I'm going to get that finished and I'll push it back into them and they won't like it very much, but. You know, so then uh, it I'm goes. Keep pushing. Then it goes to Parliament. Then it goes then, to the Petitions Committee. Yes, then. the Petitions Committee, yeah, and then they okay it. Well, they and report then, on it. They report on it. They do one of two or three things. They either refer it to the minister. They make a report on it, um, right. or they refer it for further. Yeah, they refer it for further uh, comment. Right. So, I mean, I'm just going to push it along. All I ever wanted is for all of the stuff to go up where the public can see it on the government website. That's, well, what's, that was I mean, my aim. Having 200, yeah. having 200 stories of the vaccine injured is a book. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and and like the other and, thing, i got to tell you this, where there's a third party, I had to go get the third party. So if it's a mum talking about a 13-year-old, oh, I had to go get the permission from the – so Linda's just, you know, said, well, yeah, all these people have given permission, you know, because she deals with these people every day. This is Linda know. Wharton. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So she's helped with with getting the submissions in. But I, I put in there back to them. I said, oh, we've got permission from the third party, except when the third party has been killed by the vaccine, then they can't give permission. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just, I've just, I just been reading. I, I shouldn't laugh, but you no, know, I'm actually, I'm actually been... showing what a joke they are. They're a joke. I've know? just been reading about in the face of terror. It's a human response to joke and laugh because it gets you through. It does. Because I and, think if you wouldn't, you'd cry, you know? Yes. And so you'll be sitting in um, World War One, a trench in the Somme, and um, going Telling over a the joke. top. And they'd be telling farting jokes or and all laughing hysterically. And... Um, you just doing that. I just read this last night and I thought it's how odd. And then I thought, actually, I have been in situations where you are very nervous and worried and concerned and you end up all of you joking and yeah. uh, even joking about a friend's death, you know, like old Freddie and what happened to him. Um, 
oh my goodness, well, this is going to be amazing. I mean, the, the 200 cases all in one place, all on the parliamentary record, all read into the parliamentary yeah, record. And, and all of things like Kirsten Murphy's, you know, yes. long, very long, um, you know, Q&A document that refers to all sorts of stuff online. Yeah. Um, Sue Gray with her yes. wonderful OIAs from the Ministry of Justice actually yes. showing that they that, that, that the policymakers absolutely knew that it did not stop transmission and they were telling the Ministry of Justice was telling the policymakers you can't bring this in it breaches the Bill of Rights because there is no evidence whatsoever that the stops transmissions and mandates are based on transmission they were told they knew it's in the OIAs oh my goodness how wonderful are you and I can't wait to read these Facebook notes can you imagine it? Can you imagine? I'll send it through to you. I'll read them out. Can you imagine the Prime Minister of New Zealand, stupidly, I guess, puts up on her Facebook page, oh, let me know if any, if you're vaccine injured, and blow me down. I mean, that was given her position a stupid question. I mean, all she needed to do was look at our, our reporting system. Blow me down when people start doing it. She's as her staff busily removing. I mean, that is horrific. That uh, is what did her post oh. say? Her her original post um said, I was reading some research today on why people have chosen not to be vaccinated and protect themselves against COVID-19. One of the common is that they're worried about side effects. So let's talk about that. Like all medicines, you might experience some mild, mild side effects one to two days after your vaccination. Like a heart That's attack. Normal. Yeah. Most effects don't last long. For me, I had a sore arm on my first dose and it reminded me of a tetanus jab. I felt a little bit weary on the second, but not for long. If you're worried about side effects, why not reach out to someone and let them know uh, that, that you trust about the vaccine um, and ask how they felt or talk to your GP. You'll also find more here. Let's talk about side effects, right? So that's what she posted. And What date was, was that? Um, hang on a second. I shall look for the date for you. She posted that on her page. Oh, it just says five hours ago where it's screenshot. Okay. So maybe it maybe it hasn't actually we'll got find the, out. I'll just have it. We'll I'm find gonna out. look into but that. I, I've got the yeah, and it had um thirteen hundred and forty-six shares, and then it is just absolutely filled with people talking about heart attacks and family members dropping dead straight up. Well, she can't right say there. she hasn't been told. And what happened was her her staff, there must have been a heap of them at computers which are sitting there <laughs> deleting them. But little do they know that <laughs> There's and Kiwi's Facebook helping. There, and there's Kiwis sitting there screenshotting it, screenshotting that then it disappears, oh screenshotting God. it, then it disappears. So they were just sitting oh there refreshing, refreshing and grabbing those comments before Jacinda Ardern's people took them down. So they so I've got the document of all the ones that were not taken down, that were, you know, that were taken down by wow. her people. So, you know, so it's just so, you know, I don't know how long they can keep telling their lies for. The um, level of duplicity in just that example, I mean, it's horrific to me. 
it is it is absolutely horrific and, it, and i mean yeah it's sort of similar to what we've talked about with with the movies um you yeah, know, let's, get on to the movies. Only, let's get on to the movies because we'll lead into that from that yeah. is that they said there was only a few thousand people at the protest and that's what the movies like we came here for freedom and as you will see in river of freedom which has got a few surprises particularly at the end and i'm not going to tell you them but it's it's a different movie to we came here for freedom um but they they show you those pictures going from Cape Reinger and Invercargill, those images coming to the protest. And every overbridge is just filled with people. There's towns and people coming out onto the sides of State Highway 1 all the way down it. They were people who didn't go to the protest, but they were willing to come to their gate and put, you know, hold their sign up and wave and, and everything and wait for the convoy to come past. And today I've, I go up and down the State Highway sometimes with my son in the truck and those signs are still out in rural areas wow. in New Zealand. They're still out there, you know, no mandates and stop three waters. And people were putting those signs out on their properties. You know, they're actually clearly that's the property owner, you know, some are on the mm. fronts of houses and, and on the fronts of fences and they're still there. And so, you know, they really underestimated us. They underestimated Absolutely. how many of us disagree with them and mm. um, they underestimated the size of the protest. Um, and there are a lot of people who willingly took the jab but opposed the mandate. I'm I mean, meeting I, more and more now who um, I, actually I, la last night a friend of mine is going to there's, – there's actually a protest that's happening on the 28th of September, which is the same date that the big UN conference is having at government. So there mm. is actually um, one that's happening then. And my friends were coming, and one is and one is non-vaxxed, and the other one, he was an old friend of mine. And I said, "Oh, is he on our side?" And he said, "Oh, he got vaxxed, but he's never felt the same. So he he now is on our side." So well, what well, you've I, got is, is yeah. those people now that are going, "Wait a minute, I've been crook ever since. I've not felt right. I've got no energy. I've not felt the same since I had it. You know, I've been duped." And so there's a lot of people like that now. Well, I, I have a dear, a very dear friend who lives in Wellington who willingly took the jab. And I don't even know if they regret it. They've had no side effects. And they went every day to the protest. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. Um, and that's important because for her, she was happy with the jab totally unhappy with if you don't take it you'll lose your job yeah and, well, uh, you know and it's like i i don't i don't even have a them and us in my head now to me it's the government and the opposition versus us that's because right it's the same thing i think of it i always got to pull myself up because you see this all the time when you oppose men going into girls toilets you're told you're anti-trans, and you actually start to believe it. I couldn't. I I, I support trans people. When the, when you oppose co-governance, you're presented as anti-Maori. Well, we're not. I'm not anti-Maori, and there's a lot of Maori that oppose co-governance, right? But they do it to divide you. And yeah. then when they when they brought the mandates in, it was like. You were either anti-vax or pro-vax, and the majority were pro-vax. No, 
Um, I have nothing against anyone that chose to get the um, vaccine. My beef is with our government and the government and the opposition to rule over us love to divide us. And there's no yeah. division there. There, there. There's no division between Maori and non-Maori. There's no division in, in, in our communities between those that had the vaccine and those didn't. We've got upsets that we've got to work through because some of us were treated rather harshly exactly. by friends and colleagues. It's, but we'll, we will yeah. work through that. Our argument it, yeah. is with our government and our parliament and our bureaucracy that cheated us, all of us. So um, anyway. It's divide, me... it's divide and conquer, though, Rodney. Yes. That's what it is. They yes. started with the, you know, they started with the mandates and the vaccine. So it's an us and them. They're dividing yeah. Māori and Pākehā. Yeah. They're dividing gay and straight. You know, yeah. like they've been doing this. Now, you think yeah. back to our childhood. You know, I went to lay girls. I had gay friends. Nobody yeah. cared. You know nobody what I mean? Cared. Like nobody, like there was no problem. I had Māori friends. I've just been on the road with the New Zealand highwaymen, a perfect yeah. example of four yeah. men in their 70s and 80s, two Māori, two Pākehā, who work together, who've worked yeah. together all the time as musicians, who don't care about the colour of each other's skin. No. We didn't act. Actually, New Zealand had the least racist country until this came along. That's right. Two years ago. We were actually the best in the world with our with our indigenous relations with our people. Mm. You know, and this whole co-governance thing, it's like co-governance has become like anti-vax. It's become yeah. a it's become a trigger word. You know, Māori have been doing having iwi monitors on, you know, uh subdivision sites for, for 15 years, you know. Yeah. Like Māori have been in council helping with local decision making. To pretend that all of a sudden there's a, oh, yeah. so they're scaring people on one side by this whole trigger word of co-governance, and then they're pushing that all a bit hard that way rather than we're one people, but yes, we accept the Māori side of things. We need to not muck around with burial grounds or if there's a subdivision there, That's we've right. got to respect that. All those things were all in place. And they've making this division thing. And um, well, we've got I, to not let them divide us. That's I feel, what we've got to do. I feel the same about kapahaka in the schools and also the use of te reo in the schools. So I was very happy with kapahaka and kids having the opportunity to learn it. I'm very happy for kids to have the opportunity to learn te reo. Why? Well, it's a big part of New Zealand. A lot of a lot of yeah. our place names, a lot of our history, and um, you can learn an Irish jig. You can learn the haka. I'm fine with that. But what's happened now is the kapa haka in the schools and the terea in the schools has a become all pervasive and a cost to other things. But more particularly, it's buying into an ideology. Yeah, you know what I mean. When you do, yeah. when you go to school in our day and you learnt an Irish folk song, you weren't taking a side in doing so on the basis of the troubles in Ireland. You were just learning yeah. a dance that was historical. When you go along to school now and do the kapahaka, you are buying into a whole lot of ideological baggage. And if you question it, you're racist. Right, yeah. like if you say, "Look, my son's not into that; he'd rather do X," you're racist, right? Or do you think we're over? You know, and, and and so what I now despise is 
that you're buy, you're having to buy in to the ideology. Yeah, well, that's coming down from that's coming down from the United Nations, and people people need of to recognise it that it's happening of in every country. Is. Australia is jumping yes. up and down at the moment because yes. they're getting they're getting made to make uh, now, their name places all different. So I want to understand now. Tell me, I know of two movies. We came here for freedom, which I absolutely loved. Tell me yeah. about that movie first. So we came here for freedom. Part one and part two is uh, Alistair Harding, um, yep. who who is a wonderful filmmaker, uh, and he made those two films, which are available readily online for people to watch. But also, he's taking screenings out. So, like at at the moment, he and uh, Samantha uh, Blanchard, who have who's got a, a movie called Silenced, which is about our friend Peter Williams coming out um, with. Uh, from the mainstream media and the story why he disappeared. Um, they're doing a double bill through the West Coast, so I'm helping publicise and set that up for them. So, so there, um, there's another movie, Silence, yep, and yep. that's about not just Peter Williams or just Peter Williams? Um, it's kind of about it's about um, science and academia and, main, yes. and mainstream media and how the narrative has shut down anyone who speaks up, and it and it. And it covers, of course, Peter leaving um, yes. mainstream media. Now, this it is also tricky. covers the doctors, et cetera. This is tricky for me because I find myself trapped in social media. So I, I go on and I follow people on Twitter and I absolutely love it. But I end up looking at Twitter in odd times and I have the attention span of a sort of mosquito. And I don't know what I've, you know, I don't know what I've seen and what I haven't. So I've seen this silence thing pop up and I've clicked on it and watched it and loved it. But I end up not knowing whether I watched a teaser, a trailer, the whole movie or whatnot, yeah. right? Because you sort of get distracted or you've got to take the kids somewhere yeah. or something. So it's silence. A 60 minute, yeah, it's a 60-minute 60 60 movie, Silence, yeah. And so you're yeah. putting that, can you watch that online? Yes, you can. If you go to Silenced. Yeah. .co.nz and you can right. watch the movie there. So that's right. the place to watch the full movie if you want to go there. And um, then we've got We yeah. Came Here for Freedom, Freedom. which yeah. is a fabulous movie. Oh, man, every time I yeah. watch that, the emotion, the beauty of it, the wondrous of it, um, the reminder of it, it is, I mean, it's, it's just a wonderful movie of a historical point in time in the human spirit, and it makes you proud to be a Kiwi, whatever side yeah. you're on. Absolutely, and that's a part, it's a beautiful part movie. one of part one and two with that, which you can watch online at wecameherefreedom.com. I think that is, um, and yeah, so that's good. And then they're taking some screenings out, and then by the end. So of when August, you say you have to yeah. help us here, when you say you take a screening out, that comes to a local theatre near you. Yes, yes. So um, and currently I know you're that, going yeah. down currently you're going down the west coast of the South Island. Yeah. And you might turn up. Where's your next screening? Okay, so we have a I think there's a screening in Blenheim. I'm not sure of the location of that one because I'm just doing the West Coast ones, but the West Coast ones are the NBS Theatre um in in Westport on the 26th of August and then that's a Saturday at 4 4:30 p.m. and then the next one is uh at the Hokitika Regent Theatre 
on Sunday 27th. And both of those have got both film directors which are doing a Q&A afterwards. Wow. How mm. And, of course, chances are the whole audience are on board. So Not necessarily. Oh, really? Well, that's what we're, you know, I mean, that's that's why I put You're it hoping. into an ordinary theatre. So I'm hoping that some Other ordinary pe people will come it's, because it's a documentary and, and see it. But it's going to be a wonderful experience because all the emotions are going to, it's like when you see a scary movie. It's one thing to watch it on your phone. It's another thing to watch it in a theatre with other people jumping out of their seats scared. It sort of adds to the feeling of it, the emotion of it. So and the big see, screen. And the big screen and people around you and then chatting to them. It's going to be yeah. a wonderful night. Yeah, well, those sorts of things are always great brotherhood and sisterhood things. You know, we have yeah. a lot of Voices for Freedom members, et cetera, because yeah. we all are. And it's kind of a chance for us to come together and be reminded we're not alone in the world. So I love that element of it as well. Yeah. But I also hope that there's a few of the wobbly middle there, which are yeah. people that maybe know there's something wrong, but then they come and see that because it's a documentary mm. and they go, wow, that's not how it looked on mainstream media. And the Q&A with the directors would be something yes. else too which is really good. And then we've got the new film coming. Now, I'm going to get to the new film. How do I find out if those, that movie is coming to a theatre near me? Okay, so um, The River of Freedom, um, I'll just go No, to I'm looking there. at We Came Here for Freedom first. Oh, uh, We Came Here for Freedom? Okay. We how do I find here. out where that's okay. going to be? So if you go to wecamehereforfreedom.com, yes. Yes. That is where you can watch both movies there and you can find out any information Great. there about We Came Here for Freedom. So Great. That's well, I, if you haven't seen it, watch it. If it's coming anywhere within Kui of a theatre, travel to go and see it because it'll be a wonderful experience. Um, it's like watching documentaries of i don't know the wahini disaster the, yeah these are parts of history yeah, the, the, the filmmakers documenting history the, you know the springbok tour no matter what side you're on it's still amazing to watch these epic christchurch earthquake documentary these are epic moments in history and yeah I also must mention um just one other movie and that's the silent no more memorial day so that people should people should look out for that on Rumble, um, and that's worth watching. That's more around vaccine injury, but it's it's yet another documentary. And then then we've got the new one that's no, coming. This so, big. Man, we've got some movie makers. Silent Isn't No fabulous? More and Silence, the two separate movies. The Silent No yes. More are the vaccine injured. Yeah, Memorial Day. Silent Is No it? More Memorial Day. Search it on Rumble. That's how you get that. Okay, on Rumble. And Rumble's an app. Um, yeah, Rumble's just a place, rumble.com, which is just a place where everything that got removed from YouTube went to Rumble. So, yeah. Okay. Now, that I can't believe, again, how moving I find we came here for. And the music. Oh, my yeah. God, the music. Um, it is so well put together, and it just tears into your soul and the music, and the filmatography. Oh, my goodness. And now I have seen teasers for River of Freedom. The tell new me about, one, yeah. Tell me about River of Freedom. 
Uh, okay, so River of Freedom has been done by um, two leading New Zealand film maker people, um, one Gaylene Barnes, who's very well-known documentary maker, and Jared Conlon. Uh, and they, um, well, particularly Jared, was mandated out of his film industry job because just like any other industry, people in the music industry and film industry were also mandated out of our jobs. Like I couldn't go and do shows in a theatre or perform in places. Um, and the same for filmmakers. They were kept out of the studio. And so this was a group of them, but they're really filmmaking was their their life you know wow. so they and has wow. been their life and is their life and they've put together they went to the protest um and they've put together a documentary it's it's like we came here to freedom it's maybe just another step up in the whole filmmaking thing and they've got and the music they've got people like eric clapton on board and right said Fred. Um, so big, you know, Jason Kerrison, myself, uh, Tobias Tahi. It just there's a huge list of fantastic musicians and you know, two big internationals that that gave their blessing to have their music in this film. Oh my goodness. So that's yeah, so that's really big. Uh, and there's a few surprises in it. Um, which I, w I won't tell because no, you've got to watch it to see it. Uh, uh, it's not going to be online. It's going to be where good. you have to go and see it in the theatre. Because you get and the they... full experience. And so you get, we're talk yeah. you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to the wonderful Ali Cook, and we're talking the new movie coming out. We've been talking about the movie Silenced. We've been talking about the movie Silent No More. We've been talking about the movie We Came Here for Freedom, all of which you can watch online, and you should. You can also see We Came Here for Freedom and Silence together in a theatre, hopefully somewhere close to you. It'll be coming up. And then we've got this new movie that's only to be seen in theatres. It's a movie movie. And I have seen, you can Google the trailer, I guess you'd call it, and we're talking to Ali Cook about this movie. So keep going. Tell me what it's got some surprise in it. Tell us about the movie, River of Freedom. Yeah. So it's it's basically the journey of, of people who journeyed um, from the far north and the very bottom of the country and came together for Wellington. And I guess River of Freedom is a play on, uh, you know, Trevor Mellard's River of Filth that he called yeah. us all for being there. Um, and if you want to get information on the movie, you can go for riveroffreedom.nz. So that's where you can actually find out where the site, uh, where the screenings will be. Um, but we are having big, three big premieres in Auckland, Christchurch and Wellington. And the beautiful side of this is I'm seeing it go into theatres and us able to get it in big venues and not be closed out because that's been something that's been an issue for any movies that are against That's the narrative. amazing. That is amazing. Uh, yeah. So we are having our, our on the uh, Tuesday, the 5th of uh, September, we are having the premiere at the Civic Theatre in Auckland. Uh, and so that's, you know, going to be fantastic. I'm going to put my glad rags on. I'm going to be there. Um, put my glad rags on, strut the stuff in the foyer, um, yeah. and, you know, like as you do at a movie premiere. Uh, and we've also got one in Christchurch and Hoyts on the next day on the 6th and then the Embassy in Wellington on the 7th. And that's the three premieres, which I hope people will turn out to in, in the major cities for those premieres. And um, that's going to be great to be there and, 
I think, you know, um, the more of this we do, the better. It's, it's very interesting, actually, Rodney, as I'm going to say this now. Um, we haven't really put it out to mainstream media because why would we sort of bother exactly. at the moment? But I did go to put it on Scoop. Yep. which, as you know, is the place where mainstream media get all their press releases. Mm-hmm. It went up on Scoop, the press release did, and an hour later, it came down off Scoop. And I've got the Google captures that shows that it actually went on Scoop. So somebody probably went, get that off there. Oh <laughs> that's, my what, that's, what I, that's what I think anyway. So, And I have asked the editor of Scoop, and he's not answered me. I've asked him where it's gone. And he's not answering. Isn't me, it? So I, isn't it a terrifying thing that, that art in, that in twenty twenty three you can't announce a movie? Yeah. Like who? This would is have the ever, level of censorship we're going through. Who would have ever imagined it? And Scoop is a private organization, a private news organization. I mean, everyone sort of puts, it's like the public square for politics. Yeah, it's where you put your statements up, your press releases. Yeah. And yeah. that should be the bastion of free speech in a democracy. And all you're doing is saying, hey, if you want to come along to a movie, which is being shown in the theatre near you, we're having a premiere, take it down. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh yeah, so goodness. they, yeah, so they, you know, so they took it back down. So, like, to me, that's, you know, and they have the word independent up there. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's like, uh, what was it that upset you? Was it Eric Clapton having his music in the film that really upset you? <laughs> or uh, was it, you know, what what was it actually? Yeah, was it that it had, um, you know, filmmakers from New Zealand that have ID, uh, IMBD profiles? Was that what upset you? I mean, I'm not sure. But anyway. Isn't um, it funny? We're supposed to be promoting. It is funny. It is funny. Now, We're supposed to be promoting bigger. the New Zealand movie-making industry. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's just a total, um, it's just for me as a publicist, it's a real kind of like, it's a real sign that they're still censoring everything. You would have I never, mean, in your life as a publicist, you would never have imagined anything like this. Well, what's been interesting, actually, not only as a publicist, but as a tour promoter, I've been out around the country and I've got um, a show coming in November with Celebrating the Seekers with Keith Potcher, who's a founding I, member of the Seekers. I love um, the Seekers. I yeah, love and, I've got, uh, and I've got the New Zealand Highwaymen back out on the road again. Mm. And, you know, what's been really interesting is uh, I'm out there as a promoter buying, buying advertising. And, I mean, i got to say it, and I'll say it, every bone in my body hates giving those people any money after what yes. they've done, right? Yes. So, but what I'm noticing is we don't get the same things. Like, you used to spend three or five grand on your, on your, on your music project, whatever it was, you know, say, on a tour, and you would get an interview with such and such, and you get on-air giveaways of tickets, and you get all of that, right? All of that stopped. It's not there anymore. You can't get it now. It's, so you're getting less bang for your buck because for me, buying the 30-second adverts was actually worth it for the interviews that you got, for the on-air giveaways that you got, etc. And that is because once upon a time, the biggest advertiser for these people was 
you know, Maccas or whatever it was, whatever firm it was, big firms, they were the main advertisers and we were moderate advertisers, right, that did things like advertising your music concerts. Well, now the biggest advertiser is the government. That's who they get most of their money off and they've actually become non-caring about their advertisers and that's what, you know, and now I'm going, you know what, um, you're not giving me the same bang for buck that you were and I'm giving you more money and you're not giving me that bang for buck. So now I'm actually taking the budget and I'm giving it to little independent community newspapers and I'm, I'm looking for places I They're can going to die, and, aren't they? You know, I'm going to start, uh, you know, I'm starting to take my money away because I'm going, well, you're not giving me what you were, so I'm going to take that advertising budget that I've got on that tour and I'm going to use it in other ways that don't give you money because mm. you're not doing, you know, you're not doing me the service as an advertiser. So, yeah, very much as a publicist, the way they're actually, you know, censoring things, but also the way they're not giving the advertiser the things they used to because the government has been funding them and funding them to extraordinary amounts of money. I mean, I was looking at some OIAs yesterday. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, 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 on the amount of money oh, actually yes. spent on the whole COVID advertising thing. Um, oh, it's yes. actually really, really phenomenal. Look at this. Here we are. Um, 45, I've got 45 million here, 45,586,004 expenditure on the vaccination campaign and advertising total to June 2022. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then... uh, $45 million. Yeah, yeah. Advertising, website, transactions, printing... Blah, 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 blah. There's 45 million right there. And then all costs. This is um, campaign costs, advertising, uh, da, 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 da. And this one is campaign to November 2022, Unite Against COVID campaign, 99, yeah, 99. Is it 99 million? No, that's 99,000 just on that bit, but 45 million down there. Wow. Yeah. Well, That's when, like, you know what I mean? Just when they totally... when they turn up to stuff to place an ad, stuff would just hit them with top dollar, right? Oh yeah, there'd be no discount there. They'd be no. paying top, they'd be paying top what we call rate card rate. You know, yeah. they won't be getting any discount. They'll be they they'll w- be charging. So people go on about the public journalism fund, but that's peanuts in yes. comparison to the advertising money yes. from the government. Peanuts. And what comparison. we're going to see is when all that dries up, which it must, stuff is just going to close its doors. Yeah, absolutely. They're not going to survive it because, well, first of all, the public has no faith in them because they've tried to ram lies down the public's throat and yeah. they don't they don't necessarily accept um, what they, you know, they don't necessarily accept well, it. You know what un- I mean? They're, just they're, like, they're uninteresting. You know, it's that great thing about there's no humour or humanity in the newspapers now. You know, they're just yeah. preachy, 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 preachy. Yeah, and, and think- I noticed that, and I noticed that because even with my thing, because I've been outspoken, I use other publicists to yes. do certain work. Yes. So, um, so they go in, and it's and it's and it and they're not controversial like me, and um, they have the same 
they mm. have the same problems getting things over the line now. It's like they don't want to, they don't want to actually print anything that's just a straight out human interest story anymore, or a music event, or a you know, they just don't. They they're very very thin on that. Well, when you're into wokeism, um, you don't. You have to be cautious. There's all these taboos of what you can and can't do. And then you've sort of got to be thinking ahead, right? Because you're thinking, oh, in five years' time, this might be what they use that word problematic. And so it just drains the life out of any creativity or interesting writing style or any bit of controversy. That was going a while ago, though. Like I noticed about 10 years ago that when social media came in, there was this lazy journalism creeping in where they would go in and and, uh, actually like troll somebody's post and take a comment and then give it as their comment in the media rather than getting on the phone, tracking the person and actually interviewing them. I started Mm. to see that coming in. And that's just like, lazy journalism it was like Mm. this new generation of young journalists that grew up in a world of social media instead of actually picking up the phone and tracking down the person and talking to the person in person and interviewing them they'd find their social media grab a quote off their social media and I had that happen to me when my son had a serious car accident and I was in Australia and this reporter at staff this was years before COVID um this reporter at Stuff actually went and saw, uh, grabbed a post off my Facebook page and then put up this thing, you know, did a sensational Ellie Cook's away on tour and her son's been injured in a car accident, you know. And then I had, like, all these comments from people going I was a bad mother because I wasn't coming home and, like, all this sort of stuff. He never bothered to try to call me. He had my number. He'd actually, I'd actually put a number of famous people at him for interviews and all he did was he went and grabbed the comment off my Facebook page. And I went at him and I said, hey, that was bad journalism. You had my phone number. You could have rung me up and asked me about my son. And you didn't. You actually just took, you made a sensational little thing for the Sunday Star Times and you whacked up Facebook comments. I expect more out of you than more lazy I tell journalism. You, I, I was reminded at the weekend of... <clears throat> Uh, an experience which was on the deep end for me and caused havoc for me. And it was um, a gossip columnist for the Herald on Sunday, as it was in Rachel Glucina. And I'd had a cup of coffee with an ex-colleague of mine who was married with a child, female, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And that became... I got rung about it by the gossip columnist, and it became a story that I had a late-night dinner with this woman. I went out to the toilet and came back with my shirt unbuttoned to show off my chest, right? And clearly it was working because this young woman was sporting a sparkly diamond ring, you know, which I had her husband had given her years before. And we were clinking wine. I didn't drink. And um, it was all good, right, that I was engaged to this mystery woman. And she rang me about it before it went to be published. And I said, look, here's the lady's number, right, ring her. She's married 
with a child, right? This is the most ridiculous thing. You know what she said to me? It's just gossip. It doesn't have to be true. Oh. And printed it. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. can you and imagine I mean, the and... carnage it gives for your family, your friends? Everyone's ringing me up. Some are congratulating me, and some are, some are um, abusing me. And oh like my, my immediate family don't want to know what the hell was going on. Um, my partner at the time was a little upset. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I can. I can imagine. And it's uh, like yeah. they just didn't care. No. Anyway, I want to stop there and ask you this: How would you describe this new movie, River of Freedom? Uh, I would say that it was a, a, a beautiful journey uh, of some filmmakers who um, were present and filmed the entire convoy and the protest and told the story for the future of New Zealand so that in years to come, instead of looking back and trolling through old newspapers, they'll be able to watch this movie and see what really happened in the protest and occupation at Parliament, and How um, it's yeah, it, it's a true, a true recollection. Um, and there are some interesting surprises in it. And um, I think it's told cinematically beautiful. Um, you know, uh, just world world class filmmakers and cinematographers and things involved, and just and and having you know the music of Eric Clapton there. You yes. know, and the music of Right Said Fred, and 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 the music of all the musicians, and our own Tobias, um, our New Zealand. That's right, your own Tobias, and all of us that stood up because, like Jason Kerrison and myself and Tobias and many of the other um, musicians in the country that stood up. You know, we 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 were stood a lot as well. We were mandated out of our business. We were shunned by our peers. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I had I had um, someone that I'd worked with remove the songs that we did together from Spotify and call um, me going to Parliament with Jason Kerrison's sedition. Um, and so, like, I'm not going to name that person, but no. that person had been a friend of mine for 30 years and no We've longer been there. speaks oh, no longer goodness. speaks to me. Um, and so, you know, I was really shunned for standing up and. And even when I said to them, my son's vaccine damaged, I'm going there for my son, it was just like straight over their heads. It was like their empathy button was gone. That was like the child that they'd known, that they'd seen me give birth to and raise was injured with a heart condition and it was like they just didn't even care. We need, uh, so, we need a process of truth and reconciliation like at the end of World War II or at the end of the apartheid yeah. regime because we've still got, um, at a personal level, those things to work through. And it's not about yes. who won and who was right or who was wrong. It's actually about recognising we had our differences and getting a way to go forward. Um, and like we have this with family members. And yeah. um, um, Well, I'm lucky and, I don't really have that, so I was lucky. Yeah, and that. then we have this, um, I have got a total mistrust of authority experts and the medical profession you know like i yep. just don't i have no Same. respect i'm have scared no respect. to go near a doctor i mean i'm all right with our doctor um, yeah. because he's really good 
but um, the hospitals are filled with people who were willing to put the government narrative ahead of their patients. And that is scary to me because now I don't. Yep. And walk walk away away from the Hippocratic Oath. That's right. Yeah. I've been talking to that wonderful force of nature, Ali Cook, who I've come to love and adore. And I have been brought into her orbit by RCR Radio, and I feel very blessed. And her son is in my prayers because he's one of the tragic vaccine injured. And as you know, I'm a single-issue voter. I'm voting for the vaccine injured, for there to be truth, for there to be an inquiry. Ali Cook has got the petition before Parliament, which I love. I love that petition, and I love the work that her and Linda have, Linda Wharton have put into it because it is an amazing piece of work. And I didn't know that we have that Facebook Prime Minister's little authoritative minions had to be quickly deleting because she mentioned vaccine injured and let anyone let me know. And most importantly, we have the movie coming, The River of Freedom. And it wasn't Trevor Mallard, of course. I didn't want to correct you, Ali. It was Michael Wood. Oh, yes. Who said The River of Filth. Um, I'll never forgive that little twerk. A nasty thing to say about New Zealanders. Uh, a nasty thing to say about even one New Zealander, let alone a great many thousands of New Zealanders, tens of thousands, who are citizens in a democracy who don't need to be abused by those who want us to vote for them. Um, I can promise you I won't be voting for anyone in our parliament. No, um, I, I have a hashtag for that, Rodney. Yes. It's called hashtag no vote, no vote for the five and the hive. Oh, perfect. <laughs> no vote, and, I put I it, I, and I put it on everything. Hashtag no vote for the five and the hive because none of those five parties in the hive, none of them, Stood up for you while you were losing your jobs no. and your families were being no. injured and and killed. And they abused cases. us. So and that's it. Us. The River yeah. of Freedom, go to it. I would love, I'm actually thinking in my mind whether I can get to one of those um, premieres because they they will be such an event. Thank you, Ali. Thank you for all that you do on our behalf. Thank you for your good work. Thank you for your humour, your cheer. Thank you for your music. Thank you for promoting the movies. Thank you for the petition. Thank you for being such a great mum. Thank you for being such a great friend. You're a wonderful, wonderful human being. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Really Check Radio. Please send us a text, 2057. Email me at inbox at Thank you so much for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference.
You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, remember, please send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. One of the things you quickly learn in politics is that politics is not a meritocracy. That is to say, the most qualified, best, most meritorious person uh, doesn't win like it happens hopefully in business and in academia and elsewhere in life and sport. And I was fortunate to enter Parliament in 1996 with my colleague, Dr. Muriel Newman. And I promise you, if there was a, if politics was a meritocracy, she would have been prime minister. And you can't help just now to reflect on that, that if Dr. Newman was prime minister, we would be living in such a different country in such a wonderfully prosperous and harmonious country. But instead, we got Helen Clark, John Key, Jacinda Ardern, and Chris Hipkins, which is our tragedy, actually. Um, I'm a great fan of democracy, but we've got to be mindful and awake to its deficiencies. And Muriel runs a great uh, webpage, a great uh, institute called the New Zealand Centre for Political Research, where she writes on the issues of the day and has guest writers on the issues of the day. I encourage you all to go there and also to sign up. And Muriel wrote a shocking, shocking article, which was six years of failure. And it took us back to before Labour got elected. And I was amazed how much I'd forgotten. And so we've got Muriel to remind us. Good morning, Muriel. Good morning, Rodney. Well, you do a wonderful job on your page. How do people find it? And then we'll go to your article. Um, yes, www.nzcpr.com. NZCPR, of course, stands for New Zealand Centre for Political Research. And as you said, we put out a free weekly newsletter. And um, yes, the more people who come and have a look, um, you know, the more more interesting their lives will be. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you that I said to my wife when Jacinda Ardern got elected to be Prime Minister, or selected, in your words, uh, appointed, of course, by Mr. Peters to be Prime Minister, that we were about to learn, she was about to learn how important politics was, because I thought we were going to be in for a rough time. I had no idea how bad it would be. No idea. And I remember my wife thinking, oh, yeah, and then I remember her getting enraged about, remember when you couldn't grab a plastic bag any longer at the supermarket? And this was declared from on high that plastic bags were to be banned. And if you forgot a bag, you found yourself struggling out of countdown or pack and save with all your apples and bananas in your hands and toddlers and kids. And it was God awful. And she said, why would anyone just do that? Right. And of course, it seems so trivial now to look back about getting angry about plastic bags and plastic straws compared to what was to happen. And then you wrote this column where you went back before that election 
and reminded us. Walk us through it. Tell us. Well, I, I think that, first of all, if you go back to 2017, you know, it was pretty much a very different world, wasn't it? And the National Party had had nine years of government. And, you know, in New Zealand, after nine years in office, usually there is a change in government. But back then, there didn't seem to be any real appetite for a change. You know, the economy had been described as a rock star economy. And I always remember there was a poll that came out not long before the election. It was done by the listener. And it showed that 84% of New Zealanders thought that we were doing incredibly well for a small country at the bottom of the world. And 76% said that given the state of the world, there was no better place to live in. And when you think about it, you know, National had come in in 2008. The country was in a recession. We were in the middle of the global financial crisis. And then we had, and most people have forgotten, the swine flu pandemic, which they sort of took in their stride, even though, you know, there were, well, 3,000 from memory uh, people died in it. So it was, you know, a pretty serious event. But it certainly didn't have all the drama that, that COVID did. Arguably, you can say it was a different thing, but nevertheless, they took us through the pandemic and then we had the two earthquakes, you know, and we had commodity slumps. So National had, had navigated the country through a pretty rough time, but what they'd always wanted to do was to ensure that at the end of it, New Zealand was a prosperous country and that people could get ahead and that's actually, you know, the state that the country was in in the lead up to that election. There was another thing that I recall very vividly in 2008. And as a MP, you go along to a lot of functions where, you know, the prime minister speaks. And I remember just after the 2008 election going along to a function in Auckland where John Key was to speak. And he was amazingly charismatic. And he walked into this big, you know, theatre uh, to speak. And the room lit up with his presence. And everyone felt happy because he walked in and he was prime minister. And when he spoke, it was with a smile on his face. And it was all light and fun and optimistic and looking to the future. And everyone felt great just about him and him being Prime Minister. And it was such a stark contrast. I have a lot of respect for Helen Clark, but it was a stark contrast to her persona and personality. And I can remember being at functions where everyone was, you know, eating and drinking and laughing and talking. And then she would walk in and she'd just suck the life out of the place, right? And everyone would feel down and sour and miserable. And so with the arrival of John Key, it was like this euphoria of optimism and you could afford to be happy and positive again and successful again, if you know what I mean. I really yeah. noticed a, a, a shift in the mood that's very easy to forget with his election. It is. And, you, you know, back then, Rodney, when... 
we had the change in government, you know, like everybody, you know, watching television and and it's like, you know, uh, yes, Labor's out and, and National's in and, you know, let's let's hope it's a great future. But the one thing that, that I recall was it was like a cloud had lifted mm. over everybody. And I, I think I remember writing at the time, it was like a shroud of oppression had mm. suddenly disappeared when, you know, National and John Key sort of took over. And it's quite interesting because that shroud of oppression is over the country now, and it's been over us, you know, for quite a few years now, so much so that, you know, we probably all forget that it's there. But it's like and no, and not be just careful what you Yeah, it's not just a cloud of oppression. It's a cloud of division too. It is, yeah. But you have to be careful what you say, who you talk to. You know, you've got to sort of look over your shoulder. And, mm. you know, that isn't the New Zealand way, for goodness sake. We're a, a carefree country. You know, everybody mm. getting on and doing stuff. And it's so different now. It's 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 incredible. You would never have dreamt that one government in such a short time never. could do so much damage to a country. Never. So take us back. So we're 2017. National didn't have it easy, as you say. They had the flu pandemic, the, the global financial crisis. They had the earthquakes. We had commodity slumps. But in 2017, we all think we're, we all think that New Zealand's got a bright future. Take us through, in the lead up to that election, what happened, because this is extraordinary. The whole thing is yeah, extraordinary. Well, <laughs> it is. So Labour and National, obviously, you know, the opposition parties, they'd signed a memorandum of understanding, um, I think from memory it was the year before, and it was essentially saying to them that their focus had to be on defeating the government, which is, you know, that's what opposition parties do. And so rather than trying to cannibalise themselves, which is, again, what often happens with opposition parties, they were focused on trying to win support uh, from, you know, the centre-right, so to speak. And so that was just par for the course. And then about the middle of the year, because... Now, um, Labour was starting to fall in the polls. If you remember, it was Andrew Little was the leader. The Green Party decided in their wisdom to go all out and see if they could, given that the election was you know, getting closer, they decided to go all out and do a rip-roaring speech on social welfare to try and sort of win across Labour's social justice supporters. And I remember, you know, there was a lot of commentary at, at the time about it. And what happened, you probably all remember, remember that uh, Materia Ture, the co-leader of the uh, Green Party who was making this speech, uh, decided to admit to benefit fraud. Now, that created a huge ferrari. And if you remember, it ended up with her resigning from Parliament. But what happened? But quite just interrupting, was that, interrupting you there, Muriel. And again, I'm sorry. I had entirely forgotten about that. Is that me? Because I'm I old, know. or I mean, because it's doing so much. But that was that moment changed everything. It did. It did. 
And, um, you know, goodness knows why she decided to do it. I think she was just, you know, probably pumped with adrenaline and <laughs> doing an amazing speech and thinking, right, you know, I'm going to, you know, let it all out. So, but it did cause, it, it, it changed the course of the election because what happened to start with was that there was sort of a stunned silence from everyone. And then suddenly the Green Party support started rising and Labour support started falling. And Labour support fell to the point where, you know, Andrew Little decided he had to step aside and put his deputy in as leader. And, of course, the deputy was Jacinda Ardern. And, you know, you can all remember the, um, you know, the thing we called Jacinda Mania, didn't we, where the media just loved her and gave her so much publicity. And so, of course, she sucked the support away from the Greens, sucked it away from New Zealand First and from National. And so Labour then rose up in the polls to the point where in the negotiations after the election, um, a new government could be formed with her as Prime Minister. And she became the leader of the Labour Party how it was can you remember roughly how far out from the election it was it was seven weeks my god and and of course there was a big high so there was there was so much um as i say she was somebody that the media um really related to and liked and so there was enormous publicity uh, for her, for the leadership change and all she was going to do and everything. And so, yes, it, it suddenly, instead of the the election being about the issues, you know, the issues of concern to the country and, and what the new the contenders were going to do in terms of their policy prescriptions, it all became about Jacinda and her personality. <laughs> and And she had never been tested. Like being leader of the opposition, they say, is the hardest job in politics, and I can believe that. And I mean, the likes of Helen Clark had years in opposition and had been through, you know, a missed out election. Uh, John Key had some time, but he had a pretty soft run uh, as leader of the opposition. But Jacinda Ardern was a total unknown, totally untested her leadership uh, qualities and her ability to contest. In Parliament, she was literally anointed in the election campaign to be the leader and the prime ministerial choice. Yeah, and and it, it wasn't until you know a while afterwards that we actually found out some things about her, like the fact that she had been the um, president of that international youth organisation, socialist youth organisation. And funnily enough, when she was elected to Parliament in 2008, instead of resigning from all you know other commitments, as most new MPs do, she carried on as president of this international socialist youth organisation for a further 15 months. And so, and you know, they're sort of very Marxist, and and you know, some people call them a communist organisation. And so suddenly, here was this this person leading our country. And I'm sure most Kiwis had no idea uh, that that was where her roots lay, her ideological roots. 
The transformation of New Zealand under her leadership has been uh, extraordinary. Like we've never seen anything like it. I don't think the Labour government of 84 to 87 even compares because this is a deep-rooted cultural social change that she affected. Um, do you think that she's a genius, right? Because the, she turned New Zealand inside out and upside down and so fast we didn't even know what was happening and couldn't catch our breath. Or do you think that she's not and that she was literally having advice on what to do, not just locally, but, you know, from this global networks that she had established? Because looking back on it, she seemed stupid to me because of the things that she was saying and doing but in the big picture it was masterful it was a huge psychological operation to transform our country genius or stupid it's yeah it's difficult to know isn't it yeah. to be to be quite honest i mean you know if you look at one issue which um you know i think is bizarre it's this whole climate change stuff and I, you know, you, she made some enormous and has made some dreadful changes um, that New Zealand will continue to suffer from um, economically into the future unless National can buck up its act on, on the whole thing. But what she did, I think, in the election campaign was declare that, you know, climate change was her generation's nuclear-free moment. Now, that was a pretty sophisticated um, soundbite, if you know what I mean, Rodney. Yes. You know, it wasn't something you, you sort of think, think of when you're walking, you know, to give the speech or anything like that. So that, she may have had advice, yes. She may have been having advice in the background about this stuff. And the, the next thing she did, or one of the first major decisions she made for the country when she was Prime Minister was that business of banning new deep-sea oil and gas drilling. Now, anybody who knew anything about that whole industry knew that if you, if you banned new development, new offshore drilling, then you would effectively close down the industry, right? This, this isn't just stopping them doing something because there are already a lot of licenses in existence that go for another 30 years or did at the time. But what it does is it prevents investment being made in New Zealand because suddenly the door has shut. And so anybody with any nous about them would have realised that, that that decision would have had a profound effect on New Zealand and our future energy needs. And she made it without advice. She had no official advice, again, according to the commentary at the time. And as well as that, she didn't even have cabinet sign-off. And if you remember, she made that decision the week before she was going overseas for her first international meeting as Prime Minister. And when she was over there at her meeting, she was able to stand on the world stage and boast how she'd closed down oil and gas 
uh, exploration in New Zealand, and that was something I remember, the, again, the, the news reports at the time, that was something that other leaders, left-wing leaders, were only dreaming of doing. Nobody had actually done it. And yet there she was standing up saying, look what I've done, aren't I clever? And so that's when I think we got a taste of the ruthlessness, whether it was ruthlessness by design or ignorance, I don't know. It's very hard to tell because a lot of her decisions were made um, almost like, I mean, she termed them, I think, or somebody did, called them captain's calls. Yes. In other words, you know, I'm going to do this, doesn't matter what the rest of you say, and whether that's just you know, pig-headedness or whether it was, you know, um, by... Um, overseas, somebody whispering in her ear, I don't know, but the big thing was she had no mandate for any of these big decisions that she made for New Zealand. That did change our course. And that crippled us. That has crippled us for decades to come, because even if you reversed it, people are going to be weary to invest in New Zealand. And it was a devastating uh, decision. Uh, the media, of course, were in love with her both as a person and politically because they grew, you know, the media are lefties and they agree with all this net zero UN stuff and climate change is going to kill us all. So they all just wrote it up happily going along with it. It was the most um, unconstitutional decision imaginable. Any other prime minister would have been ripped apart by the caucus and the cabinet for doing that because it was so unprecedented and she was lauded for being a tyrant. Terrible, really. When you look back at, you know, what she did to the country, I mean, you know, it's it's just astonishing. I always remember, Rodney, when, when we were kids and, you know, you'd have been the same, we grew up in generations where our parents and grandparents had either been in the war or been, you know, through it or, or were very close to it. And so uh, one of the, the things that we did as school kids was we all read Anne Frank's diary, you know, mm. and, and she hid from the Germans, if you remember. And, and, um, and so it was all very real to us. And the one question I had, the one burning question, was how come when, when Hitler did all these terrible things, how come the German people didn't stand up and stop him? And I could never get an answer in my own head. I could never get an answer to that question until Jacinda came along and locked the country down and declared, you know, the mandates and, and did all these terrible things that, that, you know, destroyed our human rights, things that we always thought or took for granted, really. And, yeah, and you could suddenly understand what it is like when a dictator comes in and just takes the law into their own hands and, you know, to hell with the rest of you. And you forget, and or it's not reported, because uh, we think of Hitler as a terrible man who was um, a horrible person, but that's history's judgment. Uh, he, he was extremely popular, <laughs> just like Jacinda. And through his popularity, he was enabled um, to do this. And so it was this popularity and weapons-grade propaganda um, that was accepted by the media 
So when she said things like, we're going to be the most open, honest, and transparent government, and that she could never tell a lie, and that she was going to have a government that would, quote, be kind, that was written up as amazing and transformational, and we're going to be in this new world. She was the exact opposite of all these things. She was closed. She was dishonest. There was no transparency. Uh, there was absolutely um, no kindness. And yet the propaganda worked. And of course, we saw it again. Sorry. Are you gone? We saw it again, and you highlighted us. We did the, we did the climate emergency, and then introduced this zero carbon act to New Zealand, which is a UN thing. The opposite nationals bought into that. They're going to be zero carbon, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a terrible, terrible um, sort of issue because you know anybody who has studied science like you have, I have, um, you know, and all school kids used to <laughs> in the old days. We all all grew up sort of understanding the carbon cycle and you know the the fact that carbon dioxide is the food of life. Without carbon dioxide, you know, we'd all die. Um, and then suddenly to find these these politicians coming along and telling us it's, you know, this gas of death. I mean, for goodness sake. And that the world is going to end, you know, and, and then conflating, mixing mixing up weather with climate. And that's, of course, what they're doing now. To start with, it was global warming, wasn't it? And then when the world didn't warm up, then it became climate change. Well, of and course, I'm, when, I'm, much, oh, I'm much older than you, and um, I can recall <laughs> um, being scared out of my pants about climate cooling. But then we had this terrible terrorist attack in Christchurch. Well, that's even the way I phrased that. We had an Australian man go nuts and tragically shoot a lot of people. And Jacinda Ardern, an amazing, weaponized it, both in terms of her caring and support persona and both in terms of legislative and directional change of New Zealand. Tell us how that went. Yes, well, you know, to start with, I think that, you know, she did a, a good job of, of expressing, you know, the sympathy of the whole country over what had happened. But then, but then what happened was that she then used it as an opportunity to introduce one of the policies that Labour had never been able to get through in all the years where they'd sort of been trying, and that was, um, you know, firearms control. And so she then decided that the answer was to crack down on law-abiding firearm owners to make New Zealand safer. Well, of course, as we all found out, I mean, the reason that Guy had a gun was because the law hadn't been followed. The, um, you know, the checkups hadn't been done properly. 
So it wasn't it wasn't a problem with the laws as such. It was a problem with the people who were meant to do stuff not doing it. And uh, but anyway, that got lost in the in the wind. She was again on the world stage. She was going to make New Zealand safe by cracking down on on firearm owners. And you know, back here, the narrative was everybody knew that it wasn't them law-abiding firearm owners who were, were to blame for any gun problems in this country. It was people who had criminal intentions, and most of well, them and <laughs> remember those, their guns anyway. And remember those wonderful gun owners who would dare speak up and give a submission. They were sort of, they were sort of abused by... MPs and and by the media as sort of like white supremacist terrorists by implication. It wasn't again, you a know, rational it was discussion. Just one of those, that's right, and and it was it was shocking the the sort of restrictions that were brought in were just silly. And if anybody, had, you know, in the media who were sort of commenting on, on all this, if they'd have actually taken the time to have a proper look at it. I always remember one of the, the main things. It might have got sorted out now, but um, one of the main things at the time was that a lot of people who were, you know, recreational shooters, like it was, you know, what it is if people are a sportsman of any sort, often, you, you know, you live your life for the the time when you go out and do your stuff, whether it's on the rugby field or wherever it is. And and she took away the joy <laughs> that people had in, in, you know, what they did in their, their free time. And I, I just remember thinking, well, you know, because the way the legislation was worded, it captured a whole lot of people who possibly were not even intended to be captured, but that's what it did. And rather than tweak it, so that, you know, you weren't quite so harsh. Oh, no, it was full on. <laughs> you know, let's punish, punish these people. Yeah. And, and, and then the registration, but, of course, is mad. And, 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 the, um, and it was a police failure. Um, it wasn't the existing law being a problem. It was a total police failure. And then the police came out so strong on and supporting her, you're very kind about the media because you call them lazy. I call them in on it. Uh, they were in, they were the media in New Zealand became Jacinda Ardern's propaganda arm, uh, well before she was handing out the money. Uh, and you know, that gun registration, they were the ones talking her up, how wonderful she is on the world stage, they were the ones whooping her up. And then whenever these things came along, like um, uh, gun control, rather than reporting it and reporting both sides, they were very, very partisan over it. And it was this idea that it wasn't a, a lone gunman. It was this terrorist thing, and there were white supremacists and Nazis right through New Zealand, especially in Christchurch. And then this amazing thing where our security agencies had to start looking for white supremacists under the bed, like reds under the bed, and also regulate what we can do and say. That started then, didn't it? Yeah. 
And, this, and if you remember, the other thing was that blinking Christchurch call. That's when the, the full-scale regulation of the internet really started. And mm. um, so it didn't just affect us in New Zealand. It's, you know, affecting the rest of the world. And as anybody who, you know, uses social media will know, now there's loads of stuff that you can no longer talk about on Facebook or, or I don't know, Twitter's sort of a different beast now under Elon Musk. But um, but certainly on Facebook where, you know, if you try to, to discuss anything that's against the government's narrative, it gets taken down and your site gets threatened with being, you know, removed, closed down altogether. I mean, it's just appalling. And she really did lead all of that. And um, I think it's to her enormous shame. And, uh, and yet she stands there saying, aren't I clever? It's bizarre. Well, and and um, she's got a, uh, she'll have a very good future career in the UN as a consequence, as this great um, thing now, as a great leader. Now, here's a thing I did not know right, that is in your column, and I want to read it because this is a key point. Um, Jaspreet is one of our wonderful hosts. Uh, I've got to meet her, and she's this wonderful, wonderful uh, migrant to New Zealand, um, her and her husband being share milkers here down in the south. And she's well onto this UN stuff. And she got dismissed uh, at a public meeting publicly, sort of um, being called an idiot by our um, leader of the ACT Party because she asked a question about the level of UN, what would you say, influence over New Zealand's direction. And you've written this in your column, and I did not know this. By 2019, the radical United Nations agenda 2030 had been embedded into New Zealand's legislative and regulatory framework, but we only found out because Jacinda Ardern boasted about it during a speech she delivered in New York, and you quote, my government is doing something not many other countries have tried. We have incorporated the principles of the 2030 agenda into our domestic policy making in a way that we hope will drive system level actions. Oh my goodness, Muriel. Tell us about that. This is the thing, isn't it, Rodney, that, that um, you know, over the years there's been a lot of talk about it was Agenda 21, wasn't it? Um, yes. The UN's Agenda 21, I remember, was the the thing that I sort of first heard about and, you know, how it had all these sustainable, sustainability directives in there and, you know, the end result of it all would be that property rights would be eroded and... Um, you know, loads of other UN sanctions would come onto the country, one of which, of course, one of the um, the Agenda 2021 and 2030 um, issues is climate change, you know, um, <laughs> to hype up the fear about climate change, and that drives all of the UN's objectives because when people are fearful, they are happier to be regulated more strongly. 
And so there'd been loads of talk about the damaging nature of this Agenda 21, which which I think from memory was New Zealand sort of signed up to it back in the late 80s, was it, or early 90s. And But it had sort of fizzled out and a lot of um, people were concerned because it brought in all the stuff about... Um, planning, didn't it? Um, urban boundaries and, and um, not expanding housing out because um, otherwise, you know, you you were going to um, kill off all the productive areas of New Zealand. And so that's why you had to have um, all the central planning and for councils. And so anyway, all, all of that debate has happened. And then blow me down, we hear from a speech in New York that she's now put in the upgraded version and nobody knew about it. And then when you, you know, I remember going in and trying to find out, well, where is it? And, of course, it's impossible to find because it'll be a line here and a line there and a regulation here and one there, and you can't put your finger on it. And that's why all this council planning stuff, all what's happening in the schools, all what's happening in every government policy is so bizarre because it is literally in her words, she's embedded it into our system of government, not democratically, but by stealth. And the only people that she's prepared to tell about it was the UN. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was. Um, it it was a a Bill Gates meeting, Bill and Melinda Gates meeting, a private meeting in New York. But she, um, it was videoed. And also, I recall um, it was posted on the um, Beehive website at the time. So, so it's not it a surprise. Was, it's not a surprise that I don't. I hadn't heard about it till I read your column. No. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! No, I'm sort of the enormity of this stuff. Now, here's another great thing that you reminded me of. This is just. Oh my! It's just. Oh my! They were on course to be totally defeated at the upcoming election because everything they had touched had turned to dross. We were going to have a billion trees. No trees got planted. I forget. We are oh, 100,000 houses. No houses got built. In fact, we went backwards. Everything of a tangible nature that was promised by her government, building some fast train down somewhere in Auckland. Everything that was promised, not only were the targets not reached, they weren't even started. Like, you'd, if you could count 100 trees being planted, it would be amazing, right? These were total failures, and she was toast. She was going to be toast. And then what happened, Muriel? Well, it was interesting because, you know, it really was a winter. I like your use of the word. I like your use of the word interesting because (laughs) if you probably, (laughs) if you used the proper word, we'd probably have to put a beep in. Interesting. Boy, oh boy. Um, I'm talking to Dr. Muriel Newman from the New Zealand Political Research Centre. They've got a great web page you can find. She's a former colleague of mine. If we had justice in the world, she would have been Prime Minister and we would have a great country now, but that's how democracy works. And we're covering off the, the six years of failure of Labour. We've just got to the bit where they were heading for defeat in the 2020 election. And 
as Muriel says, what happened next was interesting. Yeah, COVID came along. <laughs> so the COVID pandemic came along, and if you remember back then, as we all do, um, it was all very confusing. You know, we were shown pictures of people dying, um, and it was a very worrying time. They, were, they had and, pictures on the news of people standing in the street in China dying while they were standing up, supposedly. Yeah, I remember the pictures from Italy too. Remember yes. from the hospitals up in Italy and northern Italy, and it was, um, it was anyway, the, the result of all that was that, you know, most Kiwis were pretty terrified of, of this pandemic. Now, we had, interestingly, we had a, there's my word again, we had a, um, a pandemic plan that had been developed um, for, you know, a flu-type uh, disease, and it had been rolled out um, when the swine flu pandemic came along that National were dealing with, and the, um, the, the result of that was that they then tweaked it, and that was what was sitting in the cupboard. And so instead of getting that out and, and following that approach, um, of course, you know, Jacinda took it all into her own hands, didn't she? She uh, hired an army of um, PR consultants to come up with, you know, the team of five million and be kind to each other and all that sort of thing. And um, their purpose, it seems to uh, me, when you look back, uh, was to keep fear of COVID top of mind. And, of course, that led to an election win of immense proportions for Jacinda. Yeah, well, it was presented like she was Winston Churchill fighting off, you know, the Nazis. It was extraordinary. And she just hosed in. And then, of course the most draconian changes to New Zealand ever. Um, the single source of truth, the idea that you'd be living in a democracy that in respect of anything, let alone, you know, a pandemic, which we were finding our way through, would declare themselves to be the single source of truth. And then the censorship, which was had started with Christchurch and then became full-blown during COVID. So doctors, scientists were literally deplatformed within New Zealand, declared verboten, and anyone speaking out had their, as you say, Facebook posts removed, tweets removed. Um, I couldn't believe it because um, I remember doing something and they said, oh, you can't mention the word um, vaccine because it'll just disappear off YouTube. And I thought, no one's going, bang, off it goes. They had algorithms searching it out. It was <laughs> phenomenal, the level of control that hit us. We, 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 well, we well know that, but it was used to extreme political advantage to implement tyrannical policies that are still with us because the attitude of New Zealand was changed by this. The attitude of our relationship between our, the government and the citizen of New Zealand was changed and changed, I won't say permanently, but it was changed. It just didn't end when COVID ended. It's still with us, the attitude. That's right. Yeah. 
and and it's it's the sinister Orwellian thing, isn't it? That um, you know, words no longer mean what they're meant to mean. You know, they've been yeah. given new meanings, and and um, and you have to, you really do have to be careful what you say, how you say it. And people can no longer discuss certain issues, can they? I mean, no. you know, some topics have always been touchy, where you know people have got vigorous views on different things, but um, it's just got so much worse. <laughs> Then you described what happened with he pua pua, which is another thing. We're censorship. We've got dictatorial powers, and then he pua pua is hidden from us. Well, the, the funny election. thing about he pua pua was that um, if you remember back to the election where Jacinda, you know, promised she would govern for all New Zealanders. And I think, you know, no matter what you thought of her, that was a sort of reassuring, um, you know, a promise to make to New Zealand. And that shortly afterwards, all this strange stuff started happening. I, I remember sort of, you know, discussing it with Frank, my husband, you know, what on earth is driving all this stuff? It was when suddenly the Maori language started being used more. The country was called Aotearoa New Zealand instead of just New Zealand. But there were a whole load of, of things, little little things happening, and and you didn't know where it was coming from. And so you didn't know what was causing it and so what you could do to try and stop it. You and then somebody said to me, have you seen this? And they sent me a link. And it was to a report called Hipurpur that had been um, released publicly the day of the election. And it was on the um, Tipuni Kokiri's website, Department of Ministry Affairs. And so I remember reading it and saying, what on earth is this? And I wrote about it. And by the time my next newsletter came out, uh, somebody had sent me a link to the full report because the one I'd looked at was heavily redacted, but another uh, report had been found and was available, so we, we then looked into that. And for goodness sake, it was a, a blueprint for turning New Zealand into a country of ruled by Maori, in other words, turning our democracy into tribal rule by 2040, which was the 200th anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. And there it was, all set out, what we had to do in health and education and local government and, you know, to democracy itself, with the language, with the culture. It was all, all set out in this, uh, from memory, about 150-page document um, explaining it all. So I wrote about it again, and um, look, it, it was just days, really. It was being talked about in Parliament, uh, whether they liked it or not. The media were forced to report about it. Um, the government, of course, um, said, we don't know anything about it, <laughs> which was ridiculous. And then we found out that it had been produced in 2019, um, delivered to the government to Nanaia Mahuta, in October of that year, and they'd essentially kept it hidden. Uh, when you look back, it was starting to be rolled out through the government departments, but only quietly. Um, and 
the but the whole thing, I, I think there'd been a lot of worry about it because it was such a profound change that, you know, they decided to make it public um, because then they could say, oh, no, 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 we made it public. Um, but the reality was they kept it hidden from the public during the election campaign and only started um, rolling it out properly um, afterwards. So the whole program had no mandate at all from New Zealanders. And you could say that of all the things Jacinda Ardern has done, this one has profoundly changed the face of New Zealand, the way we feel about our country and the future, unless there's a change in government and a new government actually rips out all the stuff that's been put in. Well, Winston Peters maintains it was kept from him. He was at, I looked into that, he was at the cabinet meeting where Nanaya Mahuta, who at that time was the Minister of Māori Development, where she wanted authorisation to develop a plan of action for putting in place a programme to enact the United Nations Indigenous Rights um, agreement, if you recall, that, that we'd signed up to. Um, With John, John Key. His government, to their shame, did that. Um, and back at the time, I remember John Key saying, because if you remember going right back, Helen Clark refused to sign it because she said New Zealand has got our own treaties and our own programs in place to you know, ensure that the historical rights um, are put, historical wrongs are put right. So we had all these treaties and programs in place to do with the Treaty of Waitangi, and so she wouldn't sign up to it because it sort of overrode all of that. But John Key had uh, looked into it, and he said it's symbolic, and in fact I... it is symbolic to be quite fair. There's one clause in there that essentially says if governments do not want to put this in place because it upsets their sovereignty, then there is no compunction to do so. But it's sort of hidden in legalese United Nations language, which right. most people don't understand. But you and, I, you and I know that right through everything that happens in government and council and anything to do with government goes to these treaties and cites them as a reason why we must do X. And so signing up to these things has a huge implication. And Peter Sharples flew out from New Zealand under the cover of darkness, like he was on a SAS secret mission, under the cover of darkness to sign it. I... I was, um, we were a support party for John Key. We were never told. And when I found out of it, I was a little, to use your phrase, yeah, you say things are interesting, I was a little miffed. And I went to John Key, and he just waved his hands around, and I realised it was either, it was naivety or duplicity. <laughs> He said, look, it won't mean anything, and it makes Peter happy, you know, we just sign this stuff. It was mortifying. So they signed up to it, and now you're saying that 
Nanaima who brought it to cabinet. Winston was there in the cabinet. It went in front of him. He was asleep. Well, and away hang it goes. on. It was the yeah the intention to develop a plan of action to put the um, United Nations program, Indigenous rights program, into effect in New Zealand. That's what he he was at that meeting where the general agreement was given. Yes. Nanai Mahuta as minister go off and put together a plan and we'll have a look at it later. So it wasn't the Hipurpur plan that he signed off on. Yes. It was the development of a plan. And from what we we understand from him, and certainly um, there is no record of once Hipurpur was actually... There's a record of Hipurpur being delivered to the minister but there is no record at all of it being taken to Cabinet. And I think, to be fair, what um, they realised when they got that report back was it was pretty much like a, a, a bomb ready to go off. <laughs> and um, and so they clearly decided to keep it under the wraps. So um, from uh, October of 2019 right through until Election Day... Um, 2020, it was uh, kept under wraps, and then it was only on election day that, as I say, a redacted copy was released on the government's website. And that's why our schools have changed. Yep. That's why... Why everything's changed. Everything has changed because of that report. No one voted for it, didn't even go to Cabinet. And Jacinda Ardern goes around boasting about the UN. This is all part of the UN, um, as we discussed. It's the most, it, there has been a coup. Um, oh, well, a blood, a blood, a do you know what? Most coup. people don't, yeah, mo- most people don't realise, but, but you can find it easily enough if you have a look on government department websites. Most people don't realise that what, what he poor poor did it provided the direction, right? It provided the, as I said, the roadmap. And what the Labour had done in 2018 uh, under Calvin Davis, um, who was Minister of Māori Affairs, what they'd done is they had worked with iwi leaders to set up a government department that would be the interface between the Crown and Māori. And that is called the Office of Maori Crown Relations. You, you might even recall there was a bit of a furore at the at the time because uh, the minister had decided to call it the Office of, of Crown Maori Relations, and they kicked up such <laughs> such a fuss that the the order of the words was reversed. So you know we have uh-huh. the Office of Maori Crown Relations. See, I know nothing of this. I'm like the ostrich with my head in the sand. Because when all this comes out, (laughs) I get so upset in my tummy that I actually have to dive under the bed covers or stick my head in the sand or I just, because it is so awful, Muriel. And and the media don't cover it, you see. Well, they can't. your Your column also explains... Um, 
your column explains what happened to the media. Yeah. Which, tell but us. Just, 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 uh, yeah, finish, sorry. Just to finish that bit about the public service, because this is really important, that what the, what the Hipurpur document did was it set out the plan, and what the Office of Maori Crown Relations did was it set out how are we going to achieve this plan. And so with the Minister's approval and Cabinet's approval, what they then did was that they set up a whole lot of guidelines, and again, you can find all this stuff on the internet, um, a whole lot of guidelines for public service chief executives so that they could be measured by. So, for example, you know, here you are, Mr. Chief Executive of a public, uh, public service department. How many of your staff speak Maori? How many of your staff have, can sing a waiata, for God's sake? How many of your staff have been and spent a night on a marae? And, you know, have you got all these things? Have you got on your website that you're a treaty partner? Have you got a, an agreement, a co-governance agreement uh, with local iwi? And it's got all these requirements. And that has been infiltrated right throughout the whole public service. And also, it's now going to private organisations that have some uh, link to the government. For example, if you're a real estate agent, you now have to do compulsory treaty training uh, because you are registered, uh, real estate agents are registered by the government. If you're a charity and you're on the charities register, progressively, uh, you're in the same boat. You have to uh, put up there what your uh, treaty uh, policy is going to be and whether or not you can be a co-governed uh, charitable group. And so it goes on. It's enormous. And it is enormous. And it's everywhere. Muriel, we're going to have you back, if you're willing, to do a whole session on He Purpur and what it's all meant and how it's all gone, because you are the one person with the strength of character to have kept up with it, because I just feel sick even hearing you talk about it. By the way, you've committed the dreadful sin of doing your own research, <laughs> which isn't allowed these days. You're not allowed to look things up on the internet. And also, it's no wonder we're paranoid conspiracy theorists, right? Because all this stuff has been happening behind the curtain. And 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 when this stuff was being pointed out, I can recall myself thinking when everyone would come up to me and say, oh, the UN this and the year and that, I'd sort of look at them and say, well, the UN's not in charge of New Zealand. But in signing up, it is de facto um, has this enormous power. But there's one other element because I'm even on my extended interviews, I'm getting pushed for time now. The next piece of this extraordinary puzzle was to give millions and millions and millions of dollars of taxpayers' funding to news media in New Zealand from the from the government and to put in their clauses conditions about how they had to report. True story. That's right. The key to all of this is the claim by Iwi 
and now by the government that Maori are treaty partners with the Crown. In other words, that, you know, the Crown is not sovereign, the Queen is not sovereign. Um, she established a partnership uh, with Iwi, so they have the right to rule as well. Now, it's total rubbish, and one of the uh, little projects that we've been involved in is that we've been uh, looking at Sir Aparana Nata, who, as you know, is a great Maori leader, the man on our $50 banknote. He wrote a wonderful explanation of the Maori version of the treaty back in 1922. And so he looked at the original meaning of the treaty, what it was, and, of course, it was a document that gave us the Queen as the sovereign. It protected private property rights, and it made all New Zealanders equal under the law. And he writes that so brilliantly. And so what we've been doing is we've been republishing his little booklet and sending it out around New Zealand. Uh, some of it says a newspaper insert. We uh, will be printing about 900,000 of those um, shortly. We've done half a million already. And as a little booklet, which we're sending out to people who donate to this project, because we want all New Zealand families to have copies of this book, and then they can see what the treaty actually said back yes. in the days before it not got by what, Not anyway. by what Muriel Newman Sorry. says or Rodney Hyde says or Don Brace says, but by what the great Sir Aparananata says. That's right. And you can read it. It's, it's unadulterated, like it's back what it actually was. Anyway, so the government is claiming that there's this partnership. So it's just a lie. It's, an, it's a fabrication. And so what they d did when all the sepurpur stuff was being rolled out was that they did not want the media investigating, looking into whether or not there's any validity to what they were doing. Was there really a treaty partnership? So what they did was they put $55 million into a public interest broadcasting or public interest media fund, and they said, right, you know, all New Zealand media, can you can come and you can get money from this and it'll help you in these troubled times and all the rest of it. But one condition, well, there are a few, but the main one that we focused on was the fact that you can only take it if you promise to promote the partnership, the partnership concept. And so, in other words, if you want to investigate the partnership, you can't have the money. So it was outrageous. And so what that's meant is that while all this stuff has been going on, uh, while division has been happening within the public service and in the private sector as well, uh, between Maori and non-Maori and privilege has been handed out, the media have been hamstrung from properly reporting on it uh, because most media took some of the money from the fund. And that's the big scandal. Well, we've got an election coming Another up. Another big scandal. National and ACT oppose uh, co-government. New Zealand First oppose new, new government. The other sides all are in favour of it. So it'll be our choice. Dr Newman, Dr Muriel Newman and I know each other way back and um, she is a an amazing uh, person. Her webpage is fantastic because it's filled with truth bombs, as you can tell from listening to Muriel. You can get it by going to nzcpr.com. Dot, dot, dot com. Dot com. 
It's always a tricky one. Yeah. And you will find wonderful. You've got Aparana Nata's book, which you can order, and uh, it is a, a wonderful read. There's wonderful columns by Muriel and others. It is actually a new source. Muriel Newman has chronicled, as you can tell, through this her writings and the writings of others, the dismal history of New Zealand with this terrible government that we're enduring and hopefully putting to death. Um, Muriel, I... I you describe systematically why most of us who don't pay enough of attention are sitting here bewildered about what has happened to our great country. And what you show with this one column and with this interview today is that it has been systematic, ongoing, and I think I would tend to use the word treacherous. Um, to to us, it hasn't just happened, and I thank you for that because um, it requires a, a, a certain brave heart to be beavering away on this, and you must sound or feel at times that you're shouting at clouds because we all agree, we all think it's appalling, we all can see how terrible this is for our future, and yet on and on it goes. It's like a steamroller that can't be stopped. But that's the thing, isn't it, Rodney? You have to know who's driving the steamroller, where it's coming from. Once mm. you know all of that, then you've got a chance of figuring out how to go about stopping it. And I think that's been, you know, what's been driving me. I just look at what they've done to New Zealand and it's like we're on a mission to save our country. Well, thank you for that, Muriel. Uh, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde uh, on Rally Check Radio. Please send us a text to 2057. Send me an email, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Do go to Muriel's site. Uh, it is wonderful. And do sign up to her newsletter so you can be an informed too. She is... Um, it is a wonderful institution that we have and a countervailing force to our government. Thank you so much for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And under my favorite bit of the day, the favorite bit of the show, the mailbag. But I'm feeling a bit low because it's a bit light. And so please, please, this is my reward. Text me 2057, email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. I love hearing from you. What have we got from Simon? I was listening to Peter Williams the other day, and he mentioned that you had done an interview with Dr. Mark Bailey when you were on the platform. I did. I have searched for this interview, but can't find it. Maybe it is no longer available. Yeah, I think all my stuff disappeared. Uh, I've listened to a few Mark Bailey podcasts recently, and they're such a paradigm shift to hear. Truly, they're a wake-up moment. I wonder if you would have him on RCR. That's a very good idea, Simon. I'll reach out to Mark. Uh, hi, all. Just to say, keep up the fantastic work you're doing at the station. I thoroughly enjoyed the interview with Rodney and Ashley Church. Well done. People love that interview with Ashley, so that's great. Michael, hi, Rodney. Just listen to your free Kiwi podcast with Michael and James. Ah, so I've had Michael Johnson and James Kirstead on this show, and then they run a podcast called Free Kiwi, and they had me on. Um, good stuff, and I'm looking forward to your return. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Michael. 
Uh, hi, Rodney. I had the pleasure of listening to your interview with my friend Mary Hobbs. Well, you're very lucky and special person to have Mary as your friend. She's wonderful. Who we met when we worked in Mount Cook. Mary, Charlie, and my wife and I were the only unjabbed in the whole village of 80 to 90 persons, mid-2021, at the height of the vaccine passports, etc. Sadly, we were mandated out of our job and accommodation. These two are special humans, and we have forged a long-lasting friendship as a result. Like you, Rodney, I so enjoyed Mary words of wisdom throughout a very sad period of our history. All the best, Lee. Oh, my goodness. Don't we, haven't we made the best of friends through this time? And like you, I um, feel blessed to know Mary. Loved your interview with Mary Hobbs, Rodney. Look forward to a future interviews with her. Kind regards, Shirley. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you for interviewing the wonderful Mary Hobbs, RCR and Rodney. Would love to hear her speak again. That is for sure. I can promise you we'll have her back. She's a type of Kiwi we should all aspire to be. I agree agree with that. A wonderful human who believes in personal responsibility, integrity, and courage. Bernie. Oh my goodness, she is wonderful. Hi guys, keep up the great work. Your interview with Mary Hobbs was spot on. Same with the Sam Bailey interview. The Sam Bailey interview. That must be Peter Williams. That's Mark Bailey's wife. They're both doctors and both have a different point of view to the mainstream. Thank you for your Emails, thank you for your texts. Please do contact me, text2057, email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to www.realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, you can send me a text at 2057 or email me inbox at It's election year and I have a quandary. Well, maybe not. I have a rather spotty voting record, may I say. Um, I feel the need to disclose to listeners, maybe overshare. Um, I don't always vote. I um I'll explain. I think my first vote was for the New Zealand Values Party, which was a forerunner to the Green Party. But I like to think better. Um, and then I believe I voted Labour consistently. I know I have never voted for the National Party, which is amazing. And then I didn't vote. So when Roger Douglas was dumped from the Labour Party. I didn't vote. And then we formed ACT. And, of course, I voted ACT until I was no longer in the party. And, you know, I never voted since because I didn't feel inspired to vote. And so I thought I'll just sit this one out. And now we're heading into this election. And, oh, boy, I want rid of this government like anything. But I'm not inspired by the alternatives. And I thought, how am I going to decide if I'm how I'm going to vote? And I have to say, I'm so moved by the plight of the vaccine injured and the families that have lost loved ones through the vaccine. 
And we know that's happened. That that can't be argued with. We're only arguing over the extent of the vaccine injuries and the extent of the deaths. And yet everyone, all of authority, is just denying these people's existence, literally. Scrubbing them out, um, saying they're not well in the head, literally. And so I've decided to be a single-issue voter, which is to say I will vote for the party who I believe will fulfill a promise that they make, which is to have a proper inquiry into the vaccine injured and the vaccine killed and allow these people to come to Parliament and speak. I would suggest the best way of doing that would be to have the Health Select Committee run an inquiry and just to hear from these people. Oh, my goodness, give them a platform. Parliament mandated this jab. Parliament has to have regard to the consequences. And so that's where my vote will turn. I'd vote for Labour. I'd vote for the Greens. I'd vote for uh, ACT Party. I'd vote for the National Party. If they sincerely promised an inquiry, I'd vote for New Zealand first. I'd vote for the Tom, Dick and Harry Party if I thought it had a chance of getting in which is another sort of consideration, right? I also think it's quite a smart vote because I want a government with some humanity in it and some courage and some bravery. And a party promising to do that, to me, does have that humanity and does have that courage. And so I think it would be a good party to have in Parliament and to have in government. So again, I would happily vote for them. I can't believe that National and ACT aren't promising to listen to the vaccine injured as far as I know. Please text and email me if I'm wrong about this. I can't believe that the Labour and the Greens aren't prepared to have a Health Select Committee inquiry to look at the plight of the vaccine injured. That just shows me that there's something here. There's something to cover up. There's something to ignore. There's something to dismiss. And I know New Zealand First has been promising this inquiry. And I can't believe it, because I don't trust Winston Peters. I think he's lazy, and I think he's tricky. And I don't think he gets things done. And I think he's very good at promising before the election and never delivering. That he sort of uses you as a voter. Vote for me and I'll do X, and then X never happens. But he's got your vote, and he's happy. So he's not my sort of guy to be voting for. And yet, if I cast my vote for him, I'll be casting a vote, I believe, for that inquiry. I'd love a New Zealand first person to send me the details of that inquiry that's being promised, because I'll be all ears and I'll read it out on air. I'm also impressed by the fact that New Zealand first has got two candidates whom I know, the wonderful Casey Costello and the wonderful Kirsten Murphitt. And if they were on the list in a place to get into Parliament, I know where my vote would be going, because I'd say, yeah, there's Mr. Peters, but then there's these two wonderful women, and yes, there's this policy. And like I said, I'm a single-issue voter. I can't vote for National, actually. I can't vote for ACT. 
I can't vote for Labour and I can't vote for the Greens. Why? Because they locked me up in my own house and locked me out of business. They destroyed our economy. And they locked me out of life because I wouldn't take a government-mandated medication. And then, when I protested with others, they wouldn't talk to me, and they called me names. I can never vote for those parties. Not until they admit they were wrong, and they apologise to the people of New Zealand. And I can't see them ever doing that. So that's me with my vote. Where do I put it? It's looking like New Zealand first. Mm. Depending where those two ladies are. Mm. Depending the nature of the inquiry. And um, I'll need it written in blood. But that's how I'm thinking about voting this year. What about you? Thank you for listening. Please send me a text, 2057. Send me an email, inbox at radio. And what are we to do for the vaccine injured and the families that have lost a loved one? When are we going to inquire just did what happened to them? When are we going to have some sort of listening to them, a proper inquiry, and at least some sort of public closure on what is a deep shame and a deep stain on our body, body politic. Thank you for listening. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Really Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. What a great show that was. Um, Muriel Newman, fabulous, fabulous stuff, just reminding us of the horror show of six years of labour and that shocking news how Jacinda Ardern bragged at the UN about how she had embedded this 
co-governance madness deep into the bureaucracy. So everything just changed literally overnight because it became government policy everywhere. And then how much has been kept hidden? Major constitutional changes in New Zealand achieved without our knowledge, actually. And in my mind, there's been a sort of silent, bloodless coup. And that New Zealand was heading one way, and now it's been stopped in its tracks and is heading back the other way. It's amazing to me what has happened. And then, of course, the wonderful Ali Cook. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm so excited about this new movie coming out, uh, River of Freedom. The two premieres, I'm having a look. I'm going to have a look, see if I can make one of those premieres. I'd love to be there. It'll be just sensational to be in the crowd and to watch that movie for the first time. Uh, a big chunk of New Zealand history, right there, right then. And remember, please text me, email me, text me 2057, email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. I love having your feedback. Your Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. Thank you so much for listening.